Consider this question with Pastor Ed Ray. What are you facing in life? What stone is rolled over, sealing off, keeping you from accomplishing something? God will roll it away. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. It's been said that you can live three minutes without air, five days without water, but you can't live one moment without hope. But where do we find hope? You're certainly not going to find it in this world, but you will find it in the resurrection of Christ. And that's one of the reasons the resurrection is a cause for great joy. Welcome to Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray will take us to Luke 23 and 24. Here he is now, first describing how a centurion was impacted by what he observed at Calvary. Now, when the centurion observed this, Jesus breathing his laugh, we got an earthquake, we got a ripping of the temple from top to bottom. It's been dark for three hours and then it goes black. And then he sees Jesus praying, Father, forgive them, and him just giving up his life as he chose to, the centurion was impressed. The centurion saw what had happened. He glorified God. He praised God, saying, certainly this was a righteous or an innocent man. Centurions, especially in the Gospel of Luke, in the book of Acts that Luke wrote, are always held in high esteem. Now, you remember Luke is the only non-Hebrew writer, we believe, of the Bible, Old and New Testament. So he's a Greek, and he has a great amount of respect for these Roman line officers. Centurions, century, a hundred, a hundred men, they're over, right? But they were chosen for their bravery, but for their nobility, for their integrity, for their truth. These were men who lived what they said. Their handshake was, in fact, their bond. Now, there weren't many centurions. In fact, some say that there were less than a dozen in Israel, two dozen at the most. So was this a known centurion? Some say, early church historians, that this was a centurion at Capernaum who built the synagogue there. You remember? Jesus had an encounter. He came to Jesus and he said, Lord, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, well, I'll go. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm not worthy that you'd come into my house. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus marveled that this military guy, this hardened Roman officer would have that kind of faith. He said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. What's up with you? Well, we don't know if it's the same centurion because scripture doesn't say, but he certainly knew the centurion that this happened to. It is not long after this that this man is standing watching Jesus dying across. He says, that is a righteous man. Matthew adds, that is the son of God. I know it. The crucifixion theme over and over again is this, that Jesus was innocent. That's what he says. He's innocent. He's righteous. He didn't do anything. Pilate said it. Herod said it. Thief on the cross said it. Now the centurion watching said it. He's innocent. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary because it had to be an innocent, perfect sacrifice of God to offset my sins and yours. And when the whole crowd came together 
to that site. When they saw this, what had been done, they beat their breasts and returned. Like the publican, like the tax collector did. You remember in the back of the temple, Jesus walks in, he sees the guy in the back doing this. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisees up in front saying, I'm so glad I'm not like that sinner back there. You know, I tie, they do all these wonderful works for God. And Jesus said, that man was justified. Why are they beating their breasts? Because these are honest and spiritually sensitive people who recognize that Israel and the city of Jerusalem is in trouble, that they've crucified an innocent man and they expected God to bring retribution. And they were right. Verse 49 but all his acquaintances, the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Jesus came with a great following up from Jericho, but one group had come all the way down from the lake, from the Sea of Galilee with him, and they're watching this. Well, there was another man there. Verse 50, a man named Joseph, a council member, not a city council. This is a member of the Council of Sanhedrin, the seventy. 70 plus one, the chief priest. This is the Supreme Court. These are the Supreme Court justices of the nation of Israel, the most prominent men in the entire nation. 70 of them come together and make decisions headed by the chief priest concerning the law. They were experts in the law. They were all wealthy men. This man was different. He was a council member, but he was a good and just man. He was, in fact, a righteous man. We know little else about him besides the next verse. He had not consented to their counsel and deed. He didn't vote with them to have Jesus executed. He was from Arimathea, a little town about 20, 25 miles north of Jerusalem today. You can visit it. We've gone there before. It's where Samuel was in fact born, the Old Testament prophet who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was expecting the Messiah to come. Now, I believe that Joseph is one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. I think, in fact, he's the only one on this day that expected Jesus to rise from the dead. He's the only one that knew Isaiah 53. Listen, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man at his death. A rich man? Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea knew that this prophecy was about the Messiah. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he put it together. I don't know how he did. We're not told. But somehow, maybe he's praying, maybe he's just watching, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him these words. But with a rich man. There he is with thieves. He's with criminals, but with a rich man at his death. And Joseph says, is it me, Lord? Are you talking to me? Am I the rich man? You've given me much. I have this tomb that's just a matter of feet away that no one's ever used. Is that what you're thinking, Lord? And the man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, this is no small thing. It says he begged as a personal favor, literally in the Greek. He knew Pilate and he was sticking his neck out. Maybe some of you had to when you came to the Lord. You know, your family rejected you or, or someone else or your job. I have a friend who's a biology professor that was fired from a major university on the East Coast because he would no longer teach that the slap of lightning in pre-mortal soup created life. He became a believer and he believes the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Yes, that's where we are in our nation. Now we fire people for their religious beliefs. Maybe yours is something similar. 
But Joseph understood he was going to lose his standing in Israel. The Sanhedrin had said, anyone follows Jesus, that they're going to lose their inheritance, they lose their property, they lose their standing in the synagogue. John 19.38 said, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Fear of the Jews? Was he afraid of the Jews? I don't think so. I think he was afraid for his family. He knew it would destroy his family, that they wouldn't understand. And it would cost them a great deal financially and personally. I have a friend in Israel, very good friend for years now, who came to the Lord. He has family members that are very highly placed in the Israeli government. And he cannot tell them that he's a believer. I don't judge him for that. He became a believer and he has to do it quietly. He says even his wife wouldn't understand. I think God will eventually lead him to tell her like he's doing here, Joseph. Joseph takes a a big step, sticks his neck out, goes to Pilate. Pilate's going, why didn't you say something earlier? He doesn't say that, but he's got to be thinking it. How come you didn't stand with me when I tried to say he was an innocent man? But whatever the reason, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and he releases the body, and that's unusual because criminals usually stayed on the cross nine days on one account from Herodias. They'd leave him there. Yeah, I know, jackals. Vultures, I'll just stop there. You get the idea. Verse 53. So Joseph gets permission and then goes himself personally and took it down. It? Yeah, Jesus isn't there. Just the body. Just the hardware. (laughs) Software's gone. He took it down. Where did it go? Where is he? Where is Jesus right now? I don't know besides gathering up his sheep. Now, I would have done it differently. I know who I would have gone seeing. I'd started with the high priest, Annas, going to his bedroom, two in the morning, boom, (laughs) something, you know, Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, but I'm a sinner, and I think that way. I'm messed up, right? (laughs) Jesus is out gathering sheep here. He took it down, wrapped it in linen, and it means to wrap it in a sheet, to roll the body up in a sheet, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock where no one had ever been laid before. This is the tomb. Notice that there's a wall of bricks into it because pilgrims have been coming and taking off bits of the rock for years and taking it away. To the left of that doorway is, a, is an anchor cross. It looks like an anchor, a J, letter J with a, through it. It's an early sign of a church. We believe an early church was here. If you notice underneath the door, there's a trough where the stone was rolled. There's a picture of another tomb. This is not even in Israel, but I wanted you to get the idea of what the the stone looked like. It was bigger than the doorway so that it would cover it. And it's really very, very close. It's just around the corner, 50 yards from the top of Golgotha. Joseph carries him down and lays his body in that. That's Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. We're so glad to have you on board. Here he is with more from the Gospel of Luke. There's no tricks here. He's dead. <laughs> He's really dead. They, you'll remember, stuck a spear in his side. He wasn't breathing just to make sure. Out came water and blood. They had lanced into the pericardial sac, and it was full of blood because he died of a broken heart. And we could talk about that, separation of serum and the corpuscles, but the end result is we know he was dead. People come up with ridiculous stories about, you know, that Jesus passed out and woke up again later. 
I love the old radio pastor, J. Vernon McGee. A lady wrote him a letter complaining that her pastor, her liberal pastor, she said, upset her by saying that he believed in the swoon theory that Jesus just did one of those. So McGee on the radio responds this way. Dear sister, please beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 heavy strokes. Then nail him to a cross, then hang him in the sun for six hours, and then run a spear through his heart. Put him in an airless tomb for three days and see what happens. Now that's a good answer. I like that. (laughs) So they put him in the tomb, verse 56. And the women are watching because they recognize that Joseph blows it. You know, he doesn't do the typical burial of a Jew. He doesn't embalm the body. Why? He believes Jesus is going to raise from the dead. He believes Isaiah. Then they return and prepare spices. The ladies are going, yeah, no, no, no. They're not thinking he's going to rise from the dead. They rest on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And what day of the week it is, we're not sure. You can argue about it being Friday now. When the sun goes down, you'll remember when three stars came out, it's the next day for a Jew. So was it Wednesday night going into Thursday? And, or was it Thursday night going into Friday? We don't know. You can get on the internet and argue with the rest of those fruitcakes out there about what day it was. Sorry if you're one of them. Okay. (laughs) Join with the rest. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, we know this day, first day, it's Sunday. And certain other women with them came to the tomb with spices that they prepared because they believe that Joseph of Arimathea blew it and they don't believe that Jesus is ever going to rise. They also know there's a stone in front of it. And Matthew tells us that there was a seal on the tomb, but he's the only gospel writer that talks about it because he's a tax collector and he knows the Romans because if you were a Roman tax collector, you made sure you had a Roman soldier with you with a really big sword when you collect the taxes in Israel. So he knew all these Roman soldiers. They told him the story. So he says, the high priest goes to Pilate, demands a guard, Pilate says, fine, whatever. And they put a guard on it, and they sealed the tomb. The women don't know that. Had they known that, they would have never gone. But they're having an argument. Matthew says, who's going to move the stone for us so we can get to the dead body so we can embalm it? How much faith is that? Zero. (laughs) They're not expecting Jesus risen from the dead. But when they get there, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Hmm. I love the word, but they found. They expected Jesus to be there, but. It's a great word in the Bible that we were caught in our trespasses and our sins, but God made a way for us. But God, what are you facing in life? What stone is rolled over, sealing off, keeping you from accomplishing something? God will roll it away. They were arguing about who's going to roll away the stone and God had already done it. All they had to do was show up. Why did God roll away the stone? Because Jesus wasn't strong enough to get out. I read that somewhere. (laughs) No, 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 no. It was so that they could go in, so that you and I here at the packing house, we could look in and see that he's gone. The obstacle blocking the opening was gone, and they were surprised that God had already taken care of it. (laughs) Been there before, verse 3. And when they went in, Brave ladies walk into a tomb. They find that the body, remember Luke is a doctor, uses a technical term, the soma, 
was gone. They couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus is the first time that Luke uses that term here. They expected the body to be there. Did somebody take it? Hmm. Well, Luke carefully records that it is gone. Now what happened, verse 4, is they're greatly perplexed by this. They're scratching their head. That behold, or suddenly, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, if you go into that tomb today, and when you go to Israel, I quit saying if you go, when you go to Israel and you go in there, it's a room that's big enough. We crammed 20 people in there one time and had a Bible study, sang some songs. It was awesome. But it's an empty tomb. There were three places for bodies to be. Only one of them is carved out completely. The other two are still in the raw condition. Something happened in that tomb and nobody ever used it again. But it did hold the body one time. But when they did chemical analysis of all the dust, there's no DNA evidence at all. Whatever body was in there is gone. <laughs> and when you turn around and head out the door, you'll find a sign. Well, they're perplexed. These men in shiny arms, angels, obviously. And they're speaking. The women, afraid, verse 5. They hit the dirt, put their faces to the earth. And the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? I think it's an honest question. You know, some people think the angels are being sarcastic. I think they're going, they're scratching their head with their wing. What's wrong with you? You walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He said he was going to die, going to rise from the dead. Why are you here? This is a graveyard. He's alive. He's alive. He's not here, verse 6. He's risen. That's what the sign says when you get ready to walk out of the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. Don't make some kind of a special place out of this. It's empty. It was only used one weekend. <laughs> He's not here. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Don't you guys remember what he said? Now, angels are not saved in the way that we are. You know, they were originally all immortal beings, and one-third of them decided to stay with Satan and believe the lie. Black is white, and lies are good, and evil is a wonderful thing. Two-thirds of them are watching this whole thing unfold, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day arise again. The angels flatly declared that Jesus is alive, and they should have known it. He said it to you. How come you didn't listen? Something went off. Verse 8, they remembered his words. Hmm. We can be slow to believe God's word, can't we? We read it, we say, oh, it might have happened then in those days. doesn't really apply today. Or it might have happened to Susie or Joe or Frank or Mary, but it doesn't happen to me. They remembered his words and they believed it. They really believed it, that God loves them. Then they returned from the tomb. They're excited. They're running. Verse 9, and told all these things to the 11. Sounds so calm the way it says it here. And to all the rest, there's only 11 because Judas refused to repent. And so they spilled the story. Verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other woman. And they're all talking at once. And they tell all these things to the apostles. These are the apostles, not the B apostles. <laughs> these are the best. The best that God entrusted the kingdom of God to. Great men of faith, verse 11. And the woman's words seem to the apostles like idle tales, babbling from a fevered mind is what the Greek word means. 
They're saying, oh, sure, girls. That's why men are the leaders of the church. (laughs) Gentlemen, listen when your wife says spiritual stuff. (laughs) And all the women of God said, sorry, guys, just threw all of us under the truck together. (laughs) All right, verse 12. But Peter, he's listening. Hope rose up inside him. He said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. He ran to the tomb. He has hope. He stoops down. He sees the cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Doesn't say he believes. He's wondering, could it be true what he said? That he came intending to die and that he died as he said he would and has now risen could that be the answer to that question is a resounding yes jesus had indeed conquered death and is risen thanks for joining us for grow in grace with pastor ed ray for a cd copy of today's message from the book of luke Call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. Our featured resource this month is Tale of Three Kings, authored by Gene Edwards. And I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this story. We'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace And please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We love hearing from our listeners. Let us know how we can pray for you and what you're getting out of this study. Tell us your story of how you've been growing in grace. That would be so encouraging to hear. Drop us an email today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. Let's finish up today's message now with Pastor Ed. Let me close with this story by Paul Harvey, you know, the radio commentator. A little boy whom doting parents had spoiled into a brat was carrying with him a sack And in the sack was the most pitiful kind of stirring. He had captured some tiny birds, the sound of imprisoned wings beating against the walls of the sack, a pitiful chirping now and then. And the paper paper prison was swinging at his side from a string. He met an old man as he walked along. What you got in the sack, said the old man. I got a sack full of sparrows, said the little boy. And what are you going to do with them, said the old man. He says, well, I'm going to take them out of the sack one by one, tease them, pull some feathers out, and feed them to my cat. Lovely little kid. (laughs) 
How much would you sell the whole sack for, said the old man. Little boy thought a moment, said, I'll, I'll start high, then I'll let him just bring me down. He said, $2. The man said, done. Reached into his wallet, pulled out $2, gave it to the kid, the kid's happy as a clam, whistles on down the road. Ten seconds later, a flight of sparrows went over his head. The old man had said, the little bird's free. And so it happened one day that Father God met Lucifer with a huge bag. Inside the bag were the most hopeless sounds of life struggling to be free. The sounds of young and old alike wailing in pain. What have you got in the bag? Asked Father God. People, smiled Lucifer. And what will you do with them? Well, I will torment them one by one. And when they're all worn out with trials and difficulties, I'll throw them into hell. And he chuckled. And what will you take for all of them? Your beloved son. Done, said Father God. And Jesus came and set us free. We have some more ground to cover here in chapter 24 before we finish up the Gospel of Luke. So please join us next week as Pastor Ed Ray continues this series on Growing Grace. This program is presented by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, Love and harmony I said let this world know me by your